0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: If you ever wake up and you think, it might have worked for me before, but this isn't working for me right now, or I kind of have other goals or other priorities in my life that are more important, these are good points of reflection in which... Hello Sunday Morning might be useful.
2: That is CEO and founder of Hello Sunday Morning, Chris Rain, and this is Episode 212 of the Osher Ginsberg Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Oshie Ginsberg and welcome to this Oshie Ginsburg Podcast, which is me doing a podcast. Says it in the title, doesn't it? Big thank you to Toehider who brings the music every week. I love your stylings, Toehider. I'm so grateful that you made the music for this show from the very beginning, and as often as I possibly can. Uh, getting you in to do the music for the shows that I work on because I love what you do. Uh, so if this is your first episode, welcome. Glad you're here. Each and every week, I speak with an interesting person who's done interesting things with their life. Uh, because, you know, I think all of us want to do a little more doing interesting things. Sometimes the conversations talk about business. That's all right. Sometimes the conversations talk about health. Sometimes the conversations talk about both things or nothing. But everything we talk about here is pretty much Designed well, certainly designed, I'm I, quite selfish sometimes. It's designed to inspire me, um, but hopefully also inspire you uh, and definitely help us, you and me, both kind of do the very best we can with the time that we have between now and when we die. Sorry to be grim, but, yeah, that's what the show's about. Episode 212. Thanks, Azalea Banks. If you do like hearing, if you do like what you hear on this show, there's 211 other episodes that you can listen to, and you can find them wherever you're listening to this show right now. Um, just note uh, about that. Me and the team that make this show are having a break across the Christmas period. Andy, my audio producer, and Haley, my show producer, um, they have families, uh, as do I, and uh, we're all going to take a little bit of time away to, um, you know, see the people that we work hard to make money to earn time to spend with. Oh, that's no, a weird thing, this capitalism thing, isn't it? Um, but don't worry. The episodes will continue right across the Christmas break. What I'm going to do is I'm going to run episodes that were originally exclusives, originally exclusive. So when I was doing the Patreon-supporting um, episodes, they were, like, if you supported on Patreon, I would do exclusive episodes that only you could hear. So if you have been a Patreon subscriber, you will hear shows you've heard before. If you've never been a Patreon subscriber, um, you will hear brand new shows each week right across um, the summer. But they're all bloody good, and I'll do a new intro each week. Uh, so don't worry, I'll still check in. Um, but the episodes you hear will be shows that have already run as an exclusive. Um, but now we're going to run, we're going to run wide. They're worth a second listen. I'm happy to hear them again, um, to be honest, because I really liked. Uh, I really liked every one of them. They were all bloody good episodes. I tried to make them as good as I could to reward the people that were rewarding me and allowing me to pay Andy and Hayley. So if you've never been on that exclusive RSS feed, you will hear new episodes all the way through till January. If you weren't one of the people that was on that feed, you're going you're gonna to hear some things you've heard before. But like I said, they're worth hearing again. Big thanks to everybody that sent me a photograph of what they were doing this week. Uh, Here on the show, we call it a PODSIE, P-O-D-S-I-E. It's a photograph of what you're looking at right now. So you're probably listening to this on a phone because I look at the stats and I see the device you're listening to it on, and it's like 97% of you listen to it on a phone. That one person that listens on a laptop, I don't know how you do it, but good for you. You can take a photo if you want as well. It's just a photo of what you're looking at while you're listening to. I got a, a cracking couple of crackers this week. Uh, my favorite though was uh, a lady lying on an acupressure mat. So it was a foot, a photo taken down towards her feet and there's a Christmas tree uh, at the base of the photograph. So she's lying on the ground, right? So she's lying on an acupressure mat, which is a mat with bumps in it, I guess, to, you know, push acupressure pressure points in. And she had a, like a hefty tabby cat lying on top of her. Well, I'm sure the cat was just looking for somewhere <laughs> cozy to lie. But if you're relying on an acupressure mat, it's going to give you a little bit of extra benefit. So there you go. What a lovely way to listen. So thank you very, very much. Thank you so much. Great way to listen to the show. Um, but I'm expecting in this holiday season, both in Australia and overseas, uh, you'll be traveling to be with family and friends or to be, go to work or, or, or whatever you're doing. So by all means, send me photographs of you on the road, whatever you're doing while you're listening. In Australia, you'd be at the beach. Overseas, you might be in the snow. If you live in the middle, you might be both. I don't know. But I'd love to see what you're doing. To check in with you, it's been an okay week, been a pretty good week. Um, as I spoke to you last week, I've been coming, I'm off of meds now, so I'm having a two-week experiment off of meds. Uh, it's been easy for me. A challenge for my wife, challenge for Audrey. Um, she tells me I'm a bit different to be around, and that's confronting to understand because for me, I don't really feel too much of a difference. But for her, she's like, oh, man, you're you're different. So that just means that I've got to do more work other than what I'm doing. So that includes, you know, working out, sleeping, eating, but also writing a lot of this stuff down and figuring out what it is that's frustrating her. More importantly, why? Because I I guess the meds were masking pattern behaviour that I've been hiding in the back of the brain there somewhere. And once those meds are out of the way, some of those old patterns come back into play. Um, You know, old ways of reacting and things like that show up again. It's really confusing to Audrey. And the confronting part is that everything feels pretty much the same to me. But this is when I have to trust that, she's the one with a healthy brain and she's got a healthy read on the situation and I'm the one that doesn't. So, um, you know, I'm grateful that I have, I'm able to trust in her and get her perspective on things. So that if she's saying a certain thing that I'm doing a certain thing, no matter what it is that I think I'm doing, she's the one with a healthy perception of what's actually going on. And I'm the one that needs to not do what I'm doing and learn a new way to, to handle stuff. Um, if that makes sense. It's a bit a bit bumpy, but I'm you know what? I'm grateful for the recognition that there's change to be had and there's an opportunity to live life without these things that are causing pain to someone that I absolutely adore and love and cherish and want to protect and hold and all that wife stuff. Husband stuff if you, you know, have a husband. Having said that. It was nice to get a bit of perspective yesterday. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that my mum passed away a few months ago, and for various logistical reasons, we haven't been able to put her ashes to rest until now. So we all popped off to Adelaide and gathered in the cemetery, and we put mum in, in the ground with her mum and dad, so my grandparents. There was quite a few family there, which is very, very nice. All the Lithuanian side of things showed up, And now we're all older, they were all there with husbands and wives and kids, which was great. And looking around, watching the Lithuanian side of things, mostly stoic faces, pretty much dry eyes. There's one or two tears here and there. Everyone else weeping like waterworks. So while I can feel a bit of a robot sometimes, um, and that's a bit confusing for people around me sometimes, my brother told me that, you know what, it might it might be a cultural thing. It might just be the way that, you know, we were brought up, what we learned from observing as kids, and somehow we learned not to show it. I don't know. But I felt a little less strange yesterday, and that was nice. We even had a, you know, it's Adelaide, we had a bit of time to visit a few other relatives who were buried there, and that was really nice, really nice to go and, you know, see some other family that are there and walking amongst the headstones it was really full on because most of uh, the part of the cemetery where my mum is now um are all deceased kind of cuz her grandfather died right after we got to australia so 74 so um most of the people in that part of the cemetery have deceased uh dates from like late early 60s to kind of late 70s and it was incredible because there's barely any Angler names, barely any. All of the names, all of the surnames, are Eastern, Northern, Western European names, so many families escaping, you know, if you do the maths, so many families escaping war, escaping conflict, trying to build a new life in this strange country, this hot, weird city of Adelaide on the edge of a desert, you know, nothing but ocean between you and Antarctica, nothing but desert between you and the rest of the country so different from like a a village in Austria or wherever you might have come from, in in my case, Lithuania. So many people that were able to have a life of opportunity and joy that was given to them by the city of Adelaide and our country of Australia that they otherwise would never have had. And it was just a really great reminder that as a country, this is something that we do that defines us looking after people who are fleeing conflict and giving them a life and opportunity that they otherwise would never have had. And what they bring to the country enriches the country incredibly. So that was you know it was kind of nice. Oh my my oldest cousin actually said something really interesting. Um because yeah it was it's not that I wasn't feeling sadness, dude. I was sad. I'm burying my mum, but I just kinda didn't kind of show it in the traditional weeping, you know, body way, body reacting way. And um, he said it's important because there were kids everywhere, right? Little ones, big ones. He said it's important to have children, little children at a funeral, you know, like when everyone's kind of being quiet, bumping into things, fighting with each other, screaming, yelling, asking uncomfortable questions. Where's grandma? What what do you you mean she's in the box? The box is way too small. Yeah, because it's an Ashes thing. It's a tiny little shoebox, basically. And um, he was saying that it's, it's really great to have those kids there because it shows you that life goes on. And, you know, this is what they did. This is what they worked for. They worked to, to give their kids an opportunity to have, you know, the, the circle of life. There's some wisdom in my family, man. Yeah? I'm pretty grateful for it. And then afterwards, we all um, went back to my aunt's house, which is so good. So I, I ate fruits straight off the tree in her backyard. Such an Adelaide thing. Such an Adelaide thing. One of my cousins married to an Italian guy and he was saying that his dad was always puzzled. Aussies, like, they don't plant things in their garden that you can eat. What's, what's wrong with that? What's up with that? Um, like He was saying, like you should only ever plant things in your garden that you can eat, son. So yesterday, my, my aunt being, you know, Lithuanians, very much the same. The yard is full of fruit trees. So yesterday afternoon, I was eating cherries and apricots that were in my mouth three seconds after they were on a tree, warm from the sun. Now, nature is an incredible, incredible thing. If, if you get a chance this week, go and find a fruit tree, ask the person that is, whose tree it is. Pick a, pick a piece of fruit off it, stone fruit particularly. It's so stone fruit town, man. I had this apricot in my mouth yesterday. It was amazing. Send me a photo. That'll be great. A big uh, thank you this week to everybody that told another person about this show during the week. The, the best way to get you know better guests, bigger guests on this show is to get more download numbers. I've got to be able to show the publicists that it's worth getting... Hey, Hugh Jackman, because I'm doing this thing with Hugh Jackman next week. Hugh Jackman's coming to town. Can you get him on the podcast? How many people listen? Oh, this many people. Yeah, Hugh's got a kind of like a hundred thousand limit. Oh, no, that's not true. That's not what the pop publicist said, but you know, I'm just making it up. So, the more people that listen, the more better the more better, the better guests I can get, the better shows you get. So if you have a chance this week, um, just in that podcast app you're listening to right now, click the share button and either text someone or Facebook someone or whatever, screenshot, whatever. Just One person. You don't have to share it to your social feed or whatever. Just send one person, hey, this podcast, you may want to listen to it. Make a big difference for me. In fact, that's all I want for Christmas. That's all I want for Christmas. Mariah Carey may want you. I want you to just tell someone else about the show. That's it. That'll be my Christmas present. Thank you very much. So let me tell you about my guest today. Chris Rain is the founder and CEO of Hello Sunday Morning uh, HelloSundayMorning.org is their website, and you can find out uh, more about what he does and follow him on Twitter. A really interesting guy on Twitter. He's C K R A I N E. Rain with an E. C K Rain with an E on Twitter. Um, also in the show, he talks about an app that they've got on their website. It's called Daybreak, so you can get that from um, I don't know wherever you download stuff. But Hello Sunday Morning is all about creating a healthy relationship to alcohol. And I love. I've been following Chris since he started this, and I'm so happy that he was able to come on the show now because he's built this into something really quite, quite special. In this conversation, Chris and I talk about his journey with alcohol. I talk about my journey with alcohol. Most of the story you've heard before, but if you're new, hey, you get to hear the story first time. Now, this part of this conversation might be confronting. All I ask is that you listen. And we're in, you know, we're in the part of the year in Australia, at least, where it's just like two Christmas parties a day, and your liver might be screaming for a respite. Um, so if you're in, if you feel inspired after this conversation to approach your next drink differently, good for you. If you don't, good for you. I would recommend going to the website, hellosundaymorning.org, and just spending some time there, exploring some of the questions they have to ask. Uh, you may go there for yourself. You may go there because you're concerned about someone in your life. They have support available for for both options. But I'm, I'm so grateful that Chris came around. He's doing very, very important work in our community around our relationship to alcohol. Uh, I'm one of the people that, as I've told you before, I can't have one drink because if I have one drink, I'll have a 100. Um, you might be lucky. You might be able to have one, two, three, and then go, oh, well, that's enough for me. And then that's it. Um, you might be somewhere in between. Whatever your relationship is with alcohol, I'm really grateful that you're here. And I'm really grateful that you're listening to this. So enjoy this conversation with Chris Rain. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I feel terrible, Chris. We had 10 minutes of conversation (laughs) that disappeared. But here we are. (laughs) Welcome to the show. For those of you who just joined us, uh, Chris is here. Chris started Hello Sunday Morning and he's currently playing with Frank. Um, you and I both came from Brisbane. You grew up on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah. Caloundra. Yeah. Southern of the Sunshine Coast. Before now we, you're saying it like you know everything. Because this, <laughs> this is my job. Uh, both your parents doctors, just yeah. like mine. Yeah. We both have shit handwriting. Yeah. Um, just like me and my brothers, you also didn't go into the uh, medical industry. However, your siblings did. You're from a large family where your father's been married three times. Uh, uh, he had uh, five kids. Uh Married a woman with four kids. Another five. Another nice. five. There's more kids. All There's 14 of you. Yeah. Uh, Christmas is awesome. Uh, when you were 15 at Brisbane Boys Grammar School. Yeah. In Brisbane, just down the road from where I went to school at Gregory Terrace, you had a a, a relative, a uncle, cousin, friend. <laughs> they, they shall not be named. Who bootleg made uh, their own – home brand rum, yep. which in holiday breaks you would then transport back to your boarding school in suitcases and then sell at a tidy profit to nervous high school boys as a magic elixir of, nervous about talking to girls? Let me hook you up. This is this is all correct. <laughs> Some of Chris's special sauce. This morphed into a career where you became a nightclub promoter at a place in Malulabar called The Wharf. The Wharf Tavern. The Wharf Tavern. Yeah oh, you put tavern on the end of something, instantly classier. (laughs) And my favourite anecdote from that was you were engaged in filling 2,100 people a night into this place on a weekend. Yeah. Each of them lined up to get in there. The average punter spend was 56 bucks, humongous. Yet if they weren't drinking enough over the bar, the manager would say to you, Go and
1: put a shit song on. So there you go to the bar. Stop dancing. (laughs) So get him to stop dancing. (laughs) This is like how I listen to podcasts. This is like me speeding it up at one point five. Oh yeah. This is like getting all all the information really quickly. Just in case I don't save the
2: first ten minutes (laughs) of the file. Oh look, I just have to warn you. He does this occasionally. He's he's done in every show recently. About half an hour after my guests arrive, Frankie gets very excited for a little while. Yeah. And then he calms himself down. He grabs his the old Betty had when he was a puppy, and he humps it for you. <laughs> so you're going to see—I I, I do that all the time. Some too. dog humping in a moment. <laughs> It's—it's it's, apparently it's not a sexual behaviour; it's a calming behaviour. That's what Dr. Chris, the vet, told us. Okay, Dr. Chris, the telly one—he—he
1: he was on here, and then
2: no, he's... no, no—he's the oh, I get channel ten. So yeah. I said, hey, Dr. Chris, I want to get a dog he said, you should get a Cavoodle. They are vet. No, 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 no. He's hooked us up with a breeder and he goes to Dr. Chris's vet. Okay, Doctor, all right. You know, Dr. Chris's vet. a does the VIP treatment. Up in Bondi Junction. Yeah. He doesn't see Dr. Chris because Dr. Chris is off in bloody Argentina diving in caves and shit. Oh, good. You know? <laughs> but Frank... Oh, good, you can't see him. He's on the couch going for Dr. it. Dr. Chris's minions look after Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> Colleagues, I think, is the words. Hang on. It's good tea. Okay, so you we about, what, 19, 18 when you're working at this place?
1: Yeah, 19. Yeah, from 19 to 20. So you're witnessing
2: up close and personal Australian drinking culture in its fullest form like every weekend.
1: I wouldn't say I was a witness. I would say I was an active participant. <laughs> <laughs> I was... I was behind it. I was giving the free drinks out. And oh yeah, pouring the Jaegermeister into people's mouths and stuff. I was Laybacks. Like, I was, I was properly right at the the eye of the storm. Right. So you were the guy with the drink cards. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was me.
2: That was me. Wow. So you'd morphed what you'd done in, in high school and and figured out this this relationship. That people can have with alcohol and figured out how can I get in the middle of that between them and the till. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so on a so on a regular night when like as the promoter, you don't have to bump in anything or anything. What
1: time would you get to the club? Um, we get there at like say eight o'clock, and at some one point I had my own little bar as well, which meant that I was pouring the drinks, which is not a good thing um and then like which i had my own little separate little bar down the bottom um but mostly it was just i would organize the acts and organize different people to come and but it was such a it was like no other alternative so people were forced to go there because it was the only one with a a 3am license ah so people would go there so it wouldn't matter who i booked to dj or to play in bands and I used to put a lot of effort into it, but it was kind of from a business perspective, useless. Um but I had so much fun doing it. Yeah, right.
2: But you it sounds like you were the you were the guy to know.
1: Yeah, but I don't think I was like a cool promoter. I don't think I was like a I was always just trying to improve things all the time. And yeah. like and I remember talking to the manager of the venue at, you know, three AM, I was like, you know what, we need to like Make two lines as people go in to make it more efficient. was like, ah, oh, please just fuck off. Like, I was, I was like really trying to improve the place all the time. And, um, I think I was, you know, probably more ambitious then than I am now. Right.
2: But you, so would it like every weekend were you, were you coming home was
1: like being smashed just a part of your, your job? Like a lot of weekends were like that. Uh, probably about half actually. Half I, you know, half I didn't drink and drove home and, um, and the other half would just be a write-off. That was my lifestyle. Right. Yeah.
2: Were you the kind of guy that I'm just trying to, you know, get a bit of a picture of it and, and like the, the sense of, uh, well, certainly, you know, I'm only asking questions like from my own drinking is yeah. that ego plays a pretty big role in it. And as I, uh, you know, as far as decisions of, should I have any more, Yeah. um, were you the kind of guy that would, you know, put people on the door and have your own list and people would be hassling you on the text to get in that night and that sort of thing?
1: Um, it wasn't as like a cool club like in Sydney where there was like doors and lists and stuff. Okay. But certainly people would text me that I was standing in the line and say, come, like, get me out of the line. And um, that would be a point of negotiation, I think. But, yeah, it, was, it wasn't like – I don't think I would love to portray myself as some like – I always came down to Sydney and met up with promoters and stuff, and they were like, okay, that's properly glamorous. Like, that is, that is, that's pretty cool what you just did there. Okay. My promoting career was much less about, um, looking cool and doors and lists and stuff like that, and more about the efficiencies of the business.
2: Oh, okay. Like, how much money can we get over the bar?
1: Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. How how much, how many staff can we get away with?
1: Yeah. (laughs) And like getting promotional staff out on the, you know, on in the holiday goers and like it was, it was yeah. You because know, I was doing a, a a business degree, so I could just apply all that to right to the, yeah, the Tom wolf. Cruise and cocktail. Yeah. You're doing the business
2: degree while working in the club.
1: It was it was a it, actually Tom Cruise should play me. He totally
2: should. <laughs> dead ringer. Yeah, dead.
1: Actually, maybe they made that movie about me. <laughs> Is Brian Brown your best friend? Yeah.
2: <laughs> you never know. So did that did that lead on to another thing within the industry or what happened after that?
1: Well, actually, I then started working in advertising at the same time and, and you know, working for an agency in Brisbane. So I'd work in the nightclub and then in the agency. And then at the agency, Hello Sunday Morning, began. So from there... That's what I've been doing since.
2: Right. So going from an industry where uh, alcohol is, you know, the currency of what you're doing, um, you go into an industry where alcohol is the lifeblood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> of what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Where the, the, the five hours between the morning alarm and yeah. the start of the long lunch is the only five hours you spend
1: sober all day. It's amazing how many industries describe themselves as that though. Like even accountants like... You should see us come June, July. Damn, we party. Like, it's <laughs> you, even people that you don't think would have that yeah. relationship. Uh, everyone has a, that kind of cultural coat hanger of how yeah. they drink and what they're supposed to be like. Um, but it was, yeah, I mean, I was working in advertising and my job was to come up with some kind of campaign that was around young people and binge drinking. And everything that I came up with and our team came up, with, I was like, this is just blowing and smoke and mirrors. Who no was th- the client? Uh, Queensland Health. Okay. Yeah. So they were like, and it wasn't even, it was the pitch for work. It wasn't like they said, here's, they said, this is what we're doing, here's the brief, come and pitch for work. And it caused a bit of self reflection because it, you know, which is, a lot of these campaigns that get made are just about votes. They're not actually about changing people's behaviours. They're about maybe making people feel afraid of a certain other, typically, and drinking it's young people when they're binge drinking. And they're not actually about behaviour change. Well, I wouldn't say that, but for me personally, I, I think I it did, none of what we came up with really resonated with me because I was like, well, this isn't going to change the way I drink. So that's where the whole idea of not drinking for a year... Came from, and the rest is history. When,
2: just to paint a bit of a picture about what life is like inside an agency, and I only know that from the well, I've seen it from in a radio station where we have agency and sales within under the same house, under the same roof. When it comes to getting clients over the line, the rivers of booze involved, yeah, in mm-hmm. getting people to sign even a ten thousand dollar check, yeah, it's extraordinary the amount of expense that goes in to that w- wining and dining. Yeah. But it's totally fine yeah. because I work in advertising and this is me entertaining a client. Yeah. Everything's cool, man. It's
1: part of it. But the – you have to really – I mean, the where I've come to around alcohol is to give it its credit where it's due, right? It's a drug that has facilitated the creation of modern Western society. Like without – alcohol having been available as a drug or and it could have been any drug but without having that facilitative thing I wonder whether our society would be the way it is today Um, and in business you don't need it but it's certainly helped a lot of people get things over the line in that way Um, and I wonder yeah it's almost become a prerequisite in so many of these relationships which is certainly not healthy for a lot of people that are forced to do that because it's the kind of cultural expectation. But it's, it, that's really interesting that you bring that up
2: to ask as a question, where would we be had in critical moments people who had an inflated sense of being comfortable, uh, decreased inhibitions, uh, and an a, a accentuated sense of camaraderie. Signed on a dotted line, said yes to something, walked through a door they otherwise wouldn't have walked through and made a change that they then couldn't walk back from the next day. Mm. Where would we be had we not had that? Mm. That's an interesting question to ask.
1: And history's, you know, in, entwined with these Yeah, these decisions and these moments. It's hard to tease it apart and particularly with the way that we use drugs like alcohol as a, as the main The main mama in this whole thing, how do you actually separate the choices that people make and would they have been made? Um, And I guess the only example that you could kind of look at is like Islamic societies and whether there's a difference there because it's a natural experiment. It'd be a fascinating piece of research to look at.
2: Oh, as in a society that is a teetotaling society as a whole.
1: Yeah. Like, Like, I mean, they're not, no society is completely teetotaling there's always some form of cultural drug except for the inuits um but yeah it'd be interesting to see whether what what value that these social drugs have had that's a question that i often ask well it's a it's
2: a valuable question and certainly as you mentioned it it's something that softens my otherwise hard stance that I kind of have to take on it because, mm. you know, I also have to remember that my relationship to alcohol, it isn't everyone's relationship to alcohol. But you mentioned choices and choices that you make around around drinking, you know, how far back do you walk that? Do you mm. walk it all the way back to the choice to have a drink as being one of those choices? Mm. And you know, for for me, certainly in my experience, it wasn't a choice to not have one. Yeah. It was just the thing that mm. was desired, it was set up as a thing to do as a, as a 15, 16-year-old yeah. or going forward. Like it was set up as a thing that was around any kind of social interaction or potential sexual interaction or, or anything that involved anything after midday yeah. <laughs> that wasn't work. Yeah, um, <laughs> The choice to not do it nev- was never really pr- available to me and yeah. it might just be how I grew up
1: and where I grew up and the people around me. Yeah. It's kind of like a religion, isn't it? Just born into it, yeah. Yeah. How do you, yeah? How do you, when you look back on your life and all the choices that you've made with your drinking, do you feel like it's added value as a as a period of time, or there's been no value, or how do you how do you reconcile that in your mind? It's pretty easy to answer that question. Pretty much
2: ninety nine percent of all of the pain that I have inflicted on others and on myself in my life has been because of drugs and alcohol.
1: Wow.
2: It's pretty easy to say that. Yeah. Uh, Pretty easy to say that because of the headspace I was in, um, either, you know, with a um, compromised uh, temper, decision-making ability uh, the morning after or the days after, uh, big big weekend, or compromised, you know, morals and values when I was, uh, you know, in a in a state of intoxication.
1: Hmm.
2: It's it's pretty easy, you know. As I am part of a, a step based fellowship uh, around <laughs> um, of people that help each other not drink. Yeah, and going through um, an inventory process is part of those step based steps. Uh, it's pretty clear, yeah, it's pretty clear that oh yeah, there was I was drinking it every single moment. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aside from the shit that happened, like when I was twelve or thirteen, yeah. Um, after that, it, pretty much every time in my later teens and adult life,
1: yeah. And I guess that's a, a part of becoming wiser in your life when you realise what you want and what you don't want, and every, whether you're not drinking or not taking that inventory on what's important to you. That's yeah, that's the point of it. So with
2: someone like Queensland Health Involved, and this is the interesting thing when we live in this country of Australia with a universal health care where ultimately all of us are liable for each other's health choices, yeah. um, that the, the uh, a state government health body and the Queensland Health Department's massive, um, that they are recognising that, well, why would they want to do an advertising campaign? They would want to do an advertising campaign to cut down on the cost of the health care you know, system that teenage binge drinking or young person's binge drinking is doing that in itself is, is interesting that Mm. through that, you know, they're, they're asking this question of Mm. what can we do about this? And, you know, to even answer that question, which you, you know, you, you started talking about how can I myself change my own drinking? How can we create a, you know, behavior change versus it's bad. You shouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, because those ads never worked. Yeah. And I watched heaps
1: of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That, that's, that's, the, uh, yeah, that's the challenge that we're really focused on.
2: Yeah. And, and certainly, you know, in a culture of, of binge drinking as exists in, in, in our society, in Australia, how do you even tackle that? It? It's so uniquely identified as, as being Australian, as, oh, it's just an Australian thing to do, to get on the cans. Yeah. How do you even start? Where did you
1: even begin? Well, I think the the original step was to do an experiment and and everything that I'm interested in and passionate about and everything that we do with Hella Sunday Morning is about doing curious experiments. Um, And so I decided to just for one year not drink and see what the difference was and document that difference through a weekly blog and... I was like, what's the best thing about not drinking is I'm not going to be hungover on Sunday morning, which I had been every, pretty much every weekend since I was 15. And so spending that time reflecting weekly about what was going on in my life, dating, my family, my work, my thoughts about purpose, everything kind of came out uh, for better or worse in that time. And that gave me a perhaps a deeper understanding and and maybe even a deeper credibility to ask other people to ask the same questions of themselves. And through that year, people were like, ah, I want to cut back, change this part of the way that I'm drinking or this part of my life, which leads to the drinking. Maybe I can do this as well. And so then setting up a nonprofit and building an organization has been our purpose to focus on making sure that when that person comes to that point, they've got somewhere to go to to get tools and support and help uh, to make that change. What are
2: some questions people listening might ask themselves to see if they might be ready to, should even take a month off?
1: Well, we're definitely focused on motivated people, so people that are motivated to change. Like we don't try and tell people that everyone should take a month off or everyone should, you know, Quit or whatever. Mm. I mean, in Australia, statistically, there's half a million people that have a problem with drinking uh, that they've recognized and are looking for support to change. Like they're actively wanting to talk to a health professional or wanting to get treatment or wanting to go into AA. But only 45,000 people get into traditional treatment, and there's only 22,000 people in AA in, in Australia so there's this huge gap between what people do and the people that need it, and that 's what the the people that we're really focused on first and foremost um, because there's a huge opportunity uh, not just you know as an individual wanting to make that change but as a system which should make it really easy for people to be healthier about the way they drink, but we make it quite difficult for someone to get help uh, and that 's the area that our work's really focused on so we, if you ever wake up and you think uh this isn't, it might have worked for me before but this isn't working for me right now or I kind of have other goals or other priorities in my life that are more important, these are good points of reflection in which Hell a Sunday morning might be useful. When you say it's not working for me anymore,
2: what what could working for you look like and what could not working for you look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, the the simplest one is being hungover. Like no one, I mean, I have yet to meet someone that loves being hungover. over. Um, you know, perhaps it slows people down in their life for some reason. But if there was, if I had a drink that didn't give you a hangover and a drink that, that did, I'm pretty like, it'd be like alcoholic and non-alcoholic wine in terms of the sales difference. So that's, you know, a very common reality for a lot of people in their weekends. Because what does a hangover mean? Well, it means you lose your, you know, your time. You lose your motivation, and you feel unhealthy, and your mood is depressed because it is a depressant. So, there are reasons for people. But then, when I talk to a room of people and talk about the half a million people that want help, and I ask how many people here know someone that has an issue with alcohol. And the whole room put their hands up. Uh, everyone sees it. Everyone kind of sees it in their families, and it's a hard conversation to have with a lot of people. Um, and so, it's it's definitely self directed, but there's it's within a culture. There's a lot. We're a drug taking society, and we'll always have an issue with it. So, we our goal is just to be a positive hook for people to have a conversation. And rather than talk about it being a problem, talk about it as being your own relationship with alcohol, and just having an honest conversation about it. That's it. Mm. When when it was time for me to stop,
2: uh, it was it was fairly clear. I'm, I'm, this is quite fresh in my mind because I'm writing a, a memoir at the moment. Cool. And so all this stuff is is it's coming up out. again. Yeah. Well, I've never really I kind of talked about it too much, but I you know it was very very clear for me once I. When I started thinking about, once I actually did stop drinking, when I thought, thought about when was the last time it did work for me, probably when I was around about 16 or 17 was yeah. probably the last time it worked for me. And I was 36 when I stopped. Yeah. It had just been a thing that I couldn't not do. Yeah. That's the thing. And it was no longer a choice to make to, to do such a thing. Yeah. And when you talk about being hungover, uh, as I sat down in those first few weeks, uh, when I did stop drinking, I I calculated how many days of my life I had 100% written off from being hungover, mm. uh, where I either cancelled meetings or pulled out of a function or broke an engagement for, for going surfing or dinner or lunch or, or whatever, easily easily a year and a half. Yeah. Of, it was around 500 days that I had just been like not able to do anything. Yeah. And that thirty six, that's a lot of your life. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's a lot of like, that's a lot of your life. Yeah. That is just lost to Nurofen and and bad reruns.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Where would your whole bachelor market go? <laughs> Oh look, Netflix wasn't around then. That would have been a whole different would have watched all of Rick and Morty and then
1: I would have to watch it again because I would have forgotten
2: that I watched it. That's the problem.
1: Yeah. And what a great point of reflection to yeah. to happen and and I think that's really important and should be encouraged. And it's great that you're writing a memoir about it because at no point in our lives I think we should just say, This is how things should always be. Like yeah. this is how we drink, this is how my parents drank. And it should always be constantly challenged and changed, and you've come to a conclusion that alcohol has no value in your life, like, and that's quite clear. And a lot of people come to that conclusion, and that should be encouraged. Like, it, you know, the mass is quite clear. You want to, you want that whole year back, and that's a very rational choice to make. the
2: The real problem was, though, I was terrified to admit that I had a problem. Yeah, and the the approach that I, th- I see Hello Sunday morning taking is a lot less than the one that I had as an option when mm. it was time for me to stop. It's a lot less um, you've got a problem, you have to admit you have a problem, and the only way to get around your problem is to stop doing what you're doing. Yeah. What you're doing, and that worked in the 30s yeah. when it was, you know, when it, they came up with it, um, what you're oh. doing is just asking a question, are you happy? why don't you try a couple of weeks of not doing it?
1: Yeah. Just compare the two. (laughs) Then we'll come back to it. (laughs) In that voice too.
2: Yes. Hey, hey. Why
0: don't you just take a a couple of days off?
2: (laughs) But it is. It's a a kind of a softer way of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, I you know, it was fairly evident that I was a fucking hopeless drunk by the time (laughs) it was time for me to stop. Yeah. Um. But I had... It was clear and people had told me since in my early twenties that I needed to stop. Mm. But at the time, it was keep drinking or identify as one of those people. And I,
1: I'm not ready to identify as one of those people. Yeah. It's really stigmatized. It's, mm. It took me 13 years. It's a, yeah. And the average amount of time is 18 that a person that has this kind of pattern of drinking and the moment that they get help. Is 18, 18 years. years. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. It's a, and I, I think, part of it is the approach that we take to drinking. I I think we're human so we, we inherently have problems. Like <laughs> we've all got a problem whether it be with anxiety or depression. Like I think if you're using alcohol to deal with your depression it's just a terrible drug to use. Like there's way better drugs to use for that particular problem in concert with you know support. But for anxiety a lot of people, you know, find themselves depending on alcohol or whatever that's the inherent problems that we've got. It's not the drinking is just the solution to it. That mm. might, what, what did you find, you know, so you you joined up with the fellowship and then you – what did processes or th- tools or things did you find were most helpful in you experiencing a, a level of quality of life that you had before where you did experience social engagements? and
2: Oh, I – um, I didn't experience the quality of life uh, that I experience now ever in my life before I got sober. What I have now is a happiness and ability to, you know, enjoy the world around me greater than I ever had. And when I and this is someone who in sobriety went through psychosis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that <laughs> was it. Was it was a better life and a more supported life than when I was drinking?
1: That was that like. Did you feel the psychosis coming for a long time? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you were sober to deal with it, did you feel like you were more prepared?
2: I wouldn't have identified that it was happening had I not
1: learned through um,
2: my uh, process of getting sober and staying sober where you question your thoughts and question motivations behind thoughts and question uh, pattern behavior Mm -hmm. and challenge pattern behavior and perhaps, you know, try a new pattern um, of behavior, I wouldn't have identified that those thoughts were um, sick and ill thoughts had I not had my time as um, I would have believed what my brain was telling me. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really lucky that I'd learned to challenge my thinking um, because a lot of people might not realize that, that you actually have two brains. You have the thinking brain and the observing brain. Yeah. Um, and I, had I not learned that, I would have been in a shitload of trouble. Yeah. A heap of trouble. A heap of trouble. But to, to go back to your, your question about, you know, the limited amount of time or your, your, your concept of a limited amount of time and, and a softer way to, um, you know, approach not drinking with Hello Sunday Morning. When I did first start, and this well, I kind of relate to it a lot, when I did first realise I had to stop drinking, it's like I, I had to stop drinking. But I don't want to be called one of those people just yet. I don't yeah. want to call myself an alcoholic just yet. And I don't want to say I'm never going to drink again just yet. Yeah. So I wrote down in my little journal, I wrote down, I'm just going to not drink until I have a healthier relationship with alcohol. Yeah. I'm going to give it a, a shot for six weeks. No, no, I didn't even write that. So I'm just going to not drink until I can ha- have a healthier relationship with alcohol. And that was, the, that was the way I tricked myself into doing it. Yeah. Within about six weeks, it was evident that, oh, fuck, I can never do that again. Yeah. And I was
1: okay with it by then. Okay. So you, like, grieved the whole, that whole part of your life. We start, that, started, that process started. I wanted the whole part of my life. You grieved that piece of your life.
2: Uh, well, yeah, yeah, it was because I knew I had – it was like, say, for example, if I've got a massive pile of dishes on that sink – it can be so overwhelming. I trick myself. I go, I'll just wash one. Yeah. I'll fill the sink and wash one plate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. That's all I'm going to do. I'm going to wash one plate, it's like writing this book at the moment. I don't want to sit down and like, I know I've got to about 2,000 words a day. I'm like, I'll just sit down. I'll just, I'll just write for five minutes. Yeah. I'll, see, I'll write one sentence. I'm like, I'm here. I'll write two. You know, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it's tricking myself into, into getting the initial inertia to begin the movement. Yeah. Right? But I know that I'm doing it, but I have to do it. So that was my trick to get myself to not – to go those few, first few days and, to be honest, first few hours because mm. um, it was hourly for the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I was I'm just going to – no, I'm just not going to do it, uh, you know, until I can – and if that means like if, by 5 o'clock, I'm just not going to have it. Okay, then 5 o'clock, can I, okay, by bedtime, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And the next morning, okay, by lunchtime, I'm not going to do it. Okay, lunchtime, okay, by, by sunset, I'm not going to do it. It was just to – because I don't think I could do it healthily. No, not today. Yeah, and that was how I got through those first, like five days, ten days, twelve days. Then by by around six weeks, it was fairly clear. It's like, nah,
1: yeah, it can't the, happen again. And that's a powerful thing, like you've, you're we're rewiring your brain. Mm.
2: When you have experience with, so obviously what you did started to resonate with people. So you started to do This yourself, you started to go out with alcohol for a for for a year. Mm-hmm. Was it initially going to be
1: a year? Were you going to do a shorter amount of time? You just think, Oh, here's a round number, that's pretty much the year's a round number, okay? Kind of thing. And then I was like, Who else wants to do it? And I had like zero mates go, Yeah, I'll do it. So zero. I was like, I was like, Oh, who wants to do six months? And then, and then, um, my housemate was like, I'll do three. And so it became a three month program that's legit how it happened, and so I started with two people yeah, yeah, two people, and then I think we had six people in that my first year they signed up, and then it's just it just kept growing. it has just kept growing mm. there's hundred and twenty thousand people globally, but we don't have a time frame for people. they set themselves up to whatever they Are ready to do because I think that's really important. i say, but the majority of people that sign up to Daybreak, which is our program that you can download, they want to quit. Like most people that have come to that point, want to quit. Not everyone, and we tailor the program according to their needs. But it just—they've given it a good nudge, and they're like, "They can't, same as you." It's like that's, I'm done. Well, it was when the same thing happened every time. Yeah. Well, this is never different.
2: It's exactly the same thing. It happens every fucking day. Yeah. Or well, every time I go out, every time I go to dinner, same thing happens yeah. every time. Yeah. And I can't stop it.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> it's just easier not to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just, just easier not to. When So that first three months... Were there any particular moments you went, oh, crikey, it's like the ashes or it's my
1: birthday or it's Christmas or like anything like that, like big drinking moments that you had to tackle? Yeah. Uh, there were two main ones, I think, that because in the beginning, I think I'm I'll, like, I'm pretty ambitious, so I'll jump, throw myself into it and I'm okay taking a bit of pain and like, clenching my teeth and holding on. The first month, I got into a relationship before I began the year. And then after a month, the relationship disintegrated uh, and she dumped me, actually. And that was like a moment where I was like, I want to go out now and I want to go drink. And I and it was the first really tough moment dealing with the idea of rejection and, uh, and I wanted to feed my ego by hooking up with someone else. And alcohol was just like... The, the slipstream to that. And I, yeah, so that was a really hard but very important point of reflection. I wrote a wrote a blog about it, you know. I want to go out and do this, but here I am writing this blog about it. And I think that really resonated with people. And they're like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, cool. There's some value to this project. It's not just me doing fun things on my Sunday morning. Um, and then the second point was, the second point of reflection was in April of that first year, I went to Blues Fest and it was the first festival that I'd done completely sober. That's a, on the
2: Byron, Byron on Bay, Parklands. Yeah. It's a four or five day long, yeah. pretty beery, yeah, pretty weedy. Yeah. There's a lot of smoke in the air. Yeah. And then, you know, the year I went, was like I was watching Parliament Funkadelic and, yeah. you know, I was getting past joints the size of my elbow, yeah. you know, from like my, my forearm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> four straight days yeah. of obliteration it yeah. was awesome yeah but <laughs> yeah
1: great well, tricky look, to do yeah. sober yeah
2: tricky to do a festival sober
1: first time like and so yeah i was 22 and doing that uh, and for i think it was yes yeah, so it was like a five-day festival first day was like pretty fun like it was new and i was second day was really hard it was like i really went internally and didn't have a good time didn't enjoy myself and found it quite difficult and on the third day I me- remember the moment where I wasn't having a good time and then I went and saw a guy called Michael Franti play and he just came out on stage and was so much joy and he was like, I want to see everyone jump in and like he was just up and then for that first moment I was like just really out of my head and just had an amazing time, I- just an incredible moment that I still remember. And that was the moment that I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to do this for a job. Like I'm gonna quit my job in advertising and just pursue the idea of building something that gives people this experience because I think if I didn't do that year of not drinking, I wouldn't have had that moment and I and I think that's a it's a a really powerful moment that to be honest, I don't know that many people get to have and to see them have that through one of our programs is really the value, right? Whether they drink or not, it doesn't matter. Did you go back to drinking? Yeah. So, first, the first day. So my like, so I did the year, and then uh, met.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans.
1: randomly we were supposed to drink on that new year's eve and it just didn't happen um i was like a big thing and i was with my mates but we just ended up meeting someone really cool and i'm stalking on the beach all night like it was just didn't happen so i was driving back from ellie beach to Bundaberg, and so my first drink after the year was a mojito made at the Bundaberg hotel <laughs> <laughs> and she was so nervous as well i was like this is the first drink i've had in a year like you better make it good. And she was like shaking and stuff and she made it. And I drank it and I was like, oh, that was a little bit of a letdown. Um, And then, so this is, you know, six years ago. And through, over the last six years, my relationship with alcohol has changed a lot. Um, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't call myself sober, um, but I think the parts of my life that aren't drinking have, have grown to diminish the parts of my life that are about drinking and I like that because it's constantly, I wouldn't, um, and, and I don't want to detract from people not drinking because I think that making that decision is a really powerful one. But for me, I think I can see alcohol playing a role in my life forever by making sure that it's always a, a small, very like tertiary role. You're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're lucky that you
2: can do that. Yeah. I was trying to explain this to my wife the other day. We were uh we were just at this incredible place in, in Fiji. I was away from you know work and, and so and we went to Fiji afterwards and uh she's from Fiji and went to this you know, it's fuck off place. This place called Tokariki, it's yeah. unbelievable. We arrived by a fucking helicopter, <laughs> we've got a villa. we've got a day bed, the whole box in dice. There's a <laughs> bottle of Moet like in a Thing as we arrive, and there's yeah. nothing but Pacific and little islands everywhere, and villages fishing, and the champagne pops, yeah. and Audrey pours herself wine, and and I look at her, and I just had to say, look, look, you know, it's what it's nearly eight years, yeah, for me, but I know that if I have just a sip, it might not be tonight, it might not be next week, but I can guarantee you, within within a month, I'll be right back to where i was yeah and so i can't even start
1: and that's a, a you know the way i see it is like it's almost for some people with it's like an allergy mm. like you just yeah if,
2: I have a, if i'm if i allergic to alcohol if i if i drink it i break out and fuck with yeah
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um would yeah i mean do you think that in our society, the fact that alcohol is the only drug available is a problem? I think
2: for me, it's a, it's a, it's a bigger problem in that. And alcohol is a widely available, socially acceptable, self administered medication for a wide variety of fairly minor mental illnesses. Yeah. Works a treat. Yeah. All right. Feeling a little anxious? Have a couple of beers. Feeling a little depressed? Have a couple of beers. Got ruminating thoughts? Have a couple of beers or wines or whatever you you know. Yeah. And and people don't mind. You know, you you might be tense and wound up after a day, and you might be angry at your dad or fucking I don't know. Yeah. But you know, oh, he's usually all right after after two. It becomes a fuckwit after ten. But, you yeah. know, at least we get him the two to eight. <laughs> got to get that sweet spot. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you got to get in that sweet spot. Yeah. Um. But so that, the, 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 that's my 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 bigger you know the, the way I look at it is like. Some people, they can have a drink and they're fine. Other people, like me, and I know there are other people like me because I've heard them talk. And that's the other thing I was telling Audrey the other day is like I've sat in rooms and listened to people share about their experiences. And I, you know, like we talked about, you know, ego has a lot to do with my drinking and others uh, because I've heard people talk about it. You know, I like to think I'm also special and that um, I've got this really unique story with alcohol. But I will sit there and I will listen to a six. I've listened to it happened to me in Los Angeles. I listened to a 62 year old woman from the south somewhere. So she had this incredible, you know, y'all are doing this wrong kind of accent. Yeah. And she told my story word for word. I'm like thinking, I thought I was special. Yeah. But she's basically just explained exactly what I'm going through. Fuck. Yes. Yeah. We're all oh, how boring. Um. And, that yeah, there's a group of people that alcohol is a really conveniently available um, Band-Aid. Yeah. But the problem for me was that the dosage that I required to feel okay just became unmanageable. Yeah. So it, your question was that alcohol is the only drug available. Do I think that's a problem? Mm. Um, I kind of do.
1: Mm.
2: I kind of do that we don't encourage other you know, particularly exercise, Um, uh, perhaps something that, you know, I only think about things that have work for me, things like, um, you know, teaching something like the idea of not necessarily cognitive behavioural therapy, just the idea of challenging negative thinking and challenging um, ruminating negative thoughts, teaching that kind of stuff when people are, like, perhaps in high school, like how to deal with, uh, you know, angry feelings or uncomfortable feelings or, like... Mood management as a way of teaching people how to deal with themselves versus I just have to be, yeah. you know, I, I prefer those sorts of interventions where were more available.
1: But, you know. So I totally agree with that. But just going to the moment where you arrived at this daybed with your moe and yeah. that, right, it's almost like, and it's hard to think of it this way, but it's almost like culturally if you're a vegetarian and your wife was a meat eater and then you arrive and, like, they just put a big steak there. Mm. But my question would be, do you not think that in a utopian world, when you arrive there, there could be a different drug, whether it might be kava or tea or marijuana or something Mm. that you're not necessarily allergic to and you know that because you can see your own data, that you can share that experience together?
2: Look, I'm kind of different in that I've identified that I have a problem with wanting to uh, escape from life using whatever means are available, yeah. I, any way to escape what was actually going on inside my body. Yeah. So I would say any of those, like I can't, I don't have kava. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though it's a big thing at any family occasion with Audrey, there's always a kava bowl Yeah. Um, because they're Fijian and that's, what, that's their culture. But I can't, I just can't. I I I can I I've, I've recognized that I have a problem with wanting to escape from the way I'm feeling in my body right now, mm. and that my life is better when I just learn to deal with the way I'm feeling in my body right now than try to escape from it or use something external to escape from it. Yeah. Um, having said that, I am on medication. Yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> was funnily, funnily enough though, I've just I've just come from my psychiatrist today, and um, I'm looking at I'm looking at trying life off meds again. Cool. Yeah. Well, life's very different because so I was off meds when I went through the psychosis. And, yeah, but my life's very different now. I've done a lot more work.
1: Yeah, than um, than then. And then. Um, it's a good experiment. Yeah, but like we are a drug taking society, or we use things as drugs, like whether it's food or shopping or what. Where do you make a distinction between, like, do you eat for pleasure? Like, do you see the value of something that changes your mood? That's a consumed thing, like whether it's a an ice cream or, mm-hmm. a, or a you know pizza in Italy or mm-hmm. carver or whatever it is. Uh, have you found something that is a, a pleasurable molecule that you would consume and be oh. okay with?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I could make a really nice smoothie in that blender there, and that makes me feel great. Yeah, you know, it's really nice. It's really yummy. Yeah. my body fills with nutrition, and it feels really good. Um, so, you know, that's... Or coffee. Yeah, coffee. Hey, the caffeine molecule and I yeah. are, are good friends. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely things on, in my life that I am able to have a healthy relationship with. But, you know, again, I, I certainly, you know, look at things like, the, like mindless eating as a problem in my life. And um, that was the same for me with, with online shopping for a while. I had a bit of a problem there. And then all that other kind of things like that um, that, that pop up. Um, but I think ultimately it, it does boil down to am I doing this because it tastes good? Or am I doing this to escape a feeling inside my body? Yeah. An emotional feeling inside my body. And if it's, I'm just doing this because I feel bad. And I just want to put chocolate in my body. It's like, well, I guess I'm not going to eat the chocolate. Yeah. I'm just going to have to sit here and explore why I'm feeling this way. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of – but I'm, you know, that's, that's where I am. Yeah. When it comes to consuming things to change my mood.
1: or well, it's – I think there's this, like, idea of diversifying your dopamine. You know, you get your dopamine in from consuming this stuff, but making sure that you're – Like, if you're like, oh, I really feel bad and I want to eat the chocolate, then you can go, okay, no, I'm going to go for a run or I'm Mm. going to do something or read a book and have a variety of different tools and strategies which is, you know, available to one to, like, go, okay, I'm going to pick this one up instead quickly Mm. because if it just becomes alcohol, 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 you build a tolerance and a dependence and that's all, you know end up in this kind of situation. I think you're absolutely
2: right. Like, diversifying my dopamine, I like that. It's what I did the other day. I found myself in a bit of of trouble the other day. I was just ruminating on on something. and um, Because I've been coming down off my meds. I was on 125, and now I'm on 25, and now I'm going to go fallow. And I was kind of stuck in this spot. I was like, this is bullshit. So I've cracked open the the Yui Boom little Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. And um, I put on some Motown songs, and... Uh, I danced around in front of Audrey doing um, Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras lyrics. lyric. Um, uh, you kidding me?
1: That's what I do too.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean? I just danced around. Yeah. I just danced around trying to mime. Set me free, where don't you, babe? <laughs> like, how can I play charades like they do with Mardi Gras yeah. for the people who are hearing impaired? And so I did that for about three songs. She laughed, and I felt better. Yeah, so that works. You know how I feel good. You know, and I'm I'm thinking of incorporating that every day. Yeah, into my life. <laughs> um, which um you know does lead me to the next thing that i'm I'm quite interested in in what you're doing, which is uh, you mentioned the app daybreak yeah uh, which is the app that you 've developed um, around helping people redefine their relationship with alcohol, um, which is great and it's a, it's no one has to know it's there. you can hide it on the fourth page of your phone you, you know you can it'll send you an alert or or not you know it depends on what you want to do with it um, but what are some other things at the moment that are kind of exciting you around? The use of technology in 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 behaviour change at the moment, when it comes to you know dopamine, when it comes to drug and alcohol
1: dependency. Yeah, uh, well, what's I mean, we've built this amazing team in Hello Sunday Morning and the Daybreak team. We have our own data scientists and developers and designers, just focused on that. And what we're now able to do. So the last twelve months, we've been doing this project with google which is the application of machine learning to this particular problem which what we started with is a very kind of simple product a simple program that people can sign up they can support each other they can do specific cbt steps that you can there's a whole library on there of all the things you can do and activities you can take and then you can talk to a clinical psychologist if you want but we've now got enough data that we've been able to build this algorithm that can predict with an 80% likelihood as you sign up to and answer a bunch of questions around the motivational interview, how likely you are to relapse when you, as you go through it, because we've got a couple of years of solid data and a couple of years of these patterns. And what's crazy about it is, is I asked our CTO, well, you know, what our chief technology officer, what's, it is, what are the things that predict it? And he's like, I don't know, the machine just says, this person's 80% likely, and they compare it. And what is so exciting about that is you know, when you were entering into your drinking career, and this is the potential of this technology, is that you could ask a couple of questions and to have a conversation with this thing and say, this is how I'm drinking, this is why I'm drinking, and it's like, Actually, no, sorry, Osha, you you probably probably avoid alcohol, maybe this other drug's better, or this way of doing that problem is going to be more efficient and you're not going to have all these problems that are going to come later in life. And that's really exciting because it makes the help much more accessible Mm. early on and is preventative of some of these long term problems. You know, it took you thirteen years to get help, takes the average person eighteen years to prevent some of that stuff from it happening in the first place. I think that's really exciting.
2: But how does that, though, and that 80% prediction is extraordinary. Yeah. That is extraordinary. Oh, we're much
1: more predictable than you think.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, that, <and> that, that's… <laughs> like it, that woman that you were talking about. Though. Yeah. And what's what's fascinating is the stuff I'm doing, say, in Australia, there's, there's work there as well where um, uh, there's some research around, uh, you know, people 's phone use and, and Facebook use and stuff like that and, and and various things that can identify if you are um, at risk of uh, slipping into mania yeah, just by the way that you're you know using your phone and, and things like that, all that kind of stuff I find absolutely fascinating. But how do you account for in this these questions and stuff like that? My entire social scene when I was nineteen, twenty, twenty one twenty two absolutely intricately woven into drinking. Mm. And everyone I knew in the world had to do with my drinking. Mm. How can you possibly, and then you're asked I don't know if, I, if I'd been asked, you can choose your friends or you can choose, you know, this. I don't know if I'd have been able to go down that path. So how do you how do you then untie those two things?
1: Well, we've got to get into dangerous territory on whether we have free will or not uh, and... I would argue that you, the free will that we really have is quite finite. So I think with the choices that we get to make in life are so small compared to the choices that have been made for us uh, to exist, to how our brains were developed, to how we were raised, to our social structures, our family, our community. Everything is so much out of our hands. We perhaps have some control over our story and perhaps have some control in the moment of what we choose to do. But what is really powerful about this technology, whether we like it or not, is that the algorithms that are on social media platforms or on things like Daybreak know us often better than we do, and they can make predictions of patterns of behavior better than what we can. Mm and this is i guess the future that we're heading into yeah regardless of our story and where mm. we've come from
2: but how do you like say for example uh, like a young man like i was how do you how do you even say to that young man you know this thing that you look forward to using and you get excited about using with these people you're excited to be around is
1: actually not very good for you well this is my philosophy is that i think that you need to we as a society need to provide the only thing that the only reason things change is when you provide better alternatives and i would argue that put to someone okay this is how this is what you use alcohol for these are you know you're mildly anxious or you're really anxious and this is what using it do this this and this and that anxiety will go away And, you know, it might be gay counselling, it might be exercise, it might be any number of combination of things that could be provided to you on a platter to more efficiently give you what you're using alcohol for. And that, I think, is a really powerful idea because at the moment these things exist. Like you've gone through a process of seeing a psychiatrist exercising, doing all these things that you're okay, I need to do this, otherwise perhaps I'm more likely to drink or in many people perhaps I'll go back to drinking.
2: Yeah, but I, I also don't see the people that I used to see all the time.
1: Yeah, or change your friends or whatever. <laughs> like,
2: But that's a huge thing to ask someone to do. It's, it's massive. It, it's everyone you ever knew. Yeah. Which it was at the time. It was everyone I ever knew.
1: Yeah. Well, as Carl Jung said, it's only through the individual that life can find meaning. Your friends and family, <laughs> they'll like – they're part of your life, but you being able to make right action and to and pursue a certain truth—that's that's the best thing in life. Like yeah. we're And but it's a paradox because we need people to. We're wired for to be social creatures, but the powerful thing about I think, in a globalised world for all its ills, is that you can find tribes beyond your little hundred and fifty people in your small town, and. That's a very scary but also very exciting proposition.
2: And where does, in this algorithmic prediction of, you know, possibility of relapse, where does, you know, the role of community uh, come into that? Like have you found the, you mentioned it started as a small amount of people and now is 120,000 around the world. Where, does, where have you found that community role to be powerful in advocating change? Crucial.
1: Around, right? yeah. And I think, you know, this is one thing that, AA Alcoholics Anonymous has done well is bringing people together that have a common cause and a common purpose, uh, and providing a community around it. And what's it's just the model that there's some things that don't that take a long time for someone to get to that point. It works with people that want to quit, but for anyone else, it doesn't work. So the community piece has done really well. And the modality of behaviour change is quite narrow, so it remains effective for a smaller portion of people that comes to that conclusion. But then on the other side, you've got the the clinical behaviour change, which is quite regimented and quite top-down, and this is what you need to do, and you see a psychologist and it's very um, bottlenecked on seeing professionals, and you lose a lot of that community component. And so people don't stick with it, because you need you need both of these things. You need to have a social validation of what you're doing, and then you need the the clinical support that is tailored to your particular issue, your particular treatment goals. So on our work, everything that we do is about connecting people on a common cause and then underlaying that with access to a clinical psychologist or access to clinical approaches to this particular challenge that are tailored to a person. It's fundamentally imperative for us as humans to connect with people and in many ways alcohol as a drug facilitates that connection and if you remove the drug without providing that connection the likelihood of someone going back to it is so so great and it's probably why people have found resonance with something like Hell sunday morning because here you have a hundred thousand people that are there with the same challenges ready to support you. And it's why, Helis, uh, why AA has, you know, two million members worldwide for the very same reason.
2: Because we ultimately, we, you know, when I first told people, uh, you know, and I, it was a time before Instagram when I went vegan, so it was very different now. <laughs> you know, I wasn't doing it for the gram. Um, people looked at me pretty funny. When yeah. I told them I didn't eat meat and that I didn't, what do you mean you don't eat eggs as well? What about cheese? No. What about yogurt? No. That's also dairy. Cream? It's also dairy, yeah. you know? So fish is fine, right? No, fish is not fine. Yeah. So this is all like early 2000s, right? Yeah. But fast forward, um, you know, eight years and when I tell people I don't drink, the people looked at me like I had two heads. Yeah. I couldn't fucking believe it. Yeah. You know? Um, I was really lucky, but I got sober in North America. I got sober in, in California, the Grand Central, like the headquarters of, you know, getting my shit together where people pat you on the back. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I could have done it here. Yeah. You know? So that you've created something that provides the, you know, within the Australian community, with people who have that cultural frame of reference, that, you you know, here, you want to make this this, this choice and, and try this thing? Okay, here's heaps of other people near you that are doing the same thing. Yeah. So you don't feel so alone. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. You know, it's really powerful.
1: And, like, there's a Paul Keating quote when he was talking about uh, Pauline Hanson and often this extreme right approach to the idea that, Australian culture is this monoculture. Like, we're going to, you know, make Australia great again. And it's a myth. Like, and the greatest thing, I think, about any society is embracing the diversity of choices and being curious about it and having avenues to try different things and experiment in different ways, whether it be in the foods that we eat or the drugs that we take. And I think that isn't really often hidden part of our Australian identity. But actually, people are curious. You know, if you're honest and truthful about what you're interested in and what you're doing and what the experiment is, people are curious about it. Like, people want to have better lives and try different things. And have you found that, whether it be through veganism or through your sobriety, on balance, do you feel ostracised for that decision? Or do you feel like people are interested in it?
2: Well, um, I think people are generally interested, um, <clears throat> but I have the I have the the, the the cheat code, and that I have an interesting job. So, people that that's quite secondary to, oh, you did the thing with the singing and now you do the thing with the roses. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, oh, but oh, he doesn't drink, he doesn't drink. No, no, no. He doesn't eat meat. Not fish? No, no, no. Ice cream? Not no, no. no, 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 even ice cream. Um, so, so, like, that's, that, you know, that I kind of have that cheat, all right, that I have that. Yeah. I don't know if I just, you know, if I was just a dude that worked somewhere that was just a dude's job, I don't know if it would be <laughs>
1: the same. I think i would be pretty weird to, to a lot of people. uh, Yeah, I mean, I think the message, the moral of this story is that I I think people are honestly interested and and inherently Mm. tolerant of difference given Mm. the right way of presenting it, and and it doesn't matter what you do, and and there might be some initial friction and people's fear around what the difference is, but I guess we just have to always try and Mm. be more tolerant perhaps
2: when i first stopped it and i was still uh, occasioning to be out with people that i would drink with my not drinking made them more uncomfortable i think because it made them question their own drinking yeah and i think that's that was where the the, the, the weirdness came from
1: yeah and, i mean and this a conversation always happens people go like, well how do i talk to my friends about drinking or how do i want to cut back but my friends are a bit and i think one helpful mental model of it is to take the amount of pressure that you feel from them and just realize that it is proportionate to how much they value it and they think you're missing out on like the relief from the anxiety or the relief from the stress of life and they think that you're living a life that, you know, doesn't have that same relief. And when you see it, like you, so you, I think one becomes more compassionate towards people. Like they're, they're just people trying to deal with life in their own way and they're just trying to, in a way, they're trying to be compassionate to you but they're just doing it in a walkie. Where were you in
2: 1997? <laughs> Shit, man. Grade 8, but... You know. <laughs> Did You just work that out. Is that was that legit? In grade A, because I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you said you seen your two thousand three. I finished two thousand three. Oh, great seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you find that this approach to behaviour change around alcohol is is kind? Because I remember when we were kids, like I think it was called Drug Arm came to visit our school, and they. You know, it was all fire and brimstone and, and, you know, talk about, you know, put your hands up if your parents have more than this many drinks a day. I was like, mm, you know, my dad has way more than that. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to put my hand up though because everyone's yeah. going to look at me funny. Yeah. You know, do you find that the, the, the approach you're having is, is having success on a, uh, you know, in the, like in, in the way that it was conceived around the Queensland Health thing? Do you find it's having, you know, a, a, a breakthrough there on, on that level? With young people in particular? Oh, with young people, with the you know health outcomes as far as people that present to the health department and things like that? Our
1: average age on Daybreak, which is the behaviour change platform, is 39. So we get an older population of people that have come to a conclusion that they need to quit and they need to make some big changes <laughs> and they use that program to do it. With Hello Sunday Morning as a brand, we have – 27% national brand awareness. So there's a strong awareness, particularly with under-30s. But what is interesting is that young people are drinking less right, and are less, I would argue, dependent on alcohol than what our generation would have been. And one hypothesis that I have around that, and it's not scientifically validated, but I think that we use alcohol to connect with people and facilitate social connections. And now with the rise of social media and Tinder, people have facility to get the things that alcohol was like the only way to get it. Like the only way that you could meet someone is if you got pissed and were down in a pub, whereas now you just swipe and write and you know, 30% of relationships are built in the first instance online now. And people are connecting with friends socially before they go to the pub, which reduces the anxiety or the fear of rejection that happens, you know, used to happen a lot. So I think the utility of a drug like alcohol is diminishing. It's not getting filled with other drugs? The gap? Yeah, I think, like, other drugs are increasing, and in particular use of medication as a way of having a specific experience, but not to the same level of, Production and consumption, so I think one way to look at it is technology is a drug too
2: oh yeah, absolutely. my wife is like I because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, so my wife is you know she sees me on my phone and she knows look i'm in there i am getting those little squirts of dopamine now <laughs> got another like bro <clicks> on, let me just check my home and check for ten <laughs> seconds Better <Yeah>. check again
1: <laughs> you know yeah it's it's definitely a, you know it's an issue well. It's also to know that this is how we're wired. Like, there's a lot of recently content around technology addiction and how it was designed to manipulate us. But if you know that, if you know that your brain is wired in this way neurochemically, this is, you know, you you need the dopamine and the oxytocin and the serotonin and all these things, like, abstractly are working in your brain – when you know that, that's a powerful point of information. You're like, oh, I can drink or I can go for a run or I can use my phone or I can get – and it gives space between yourself and your understanding of your own neurochemistry and the things that give you what you feel you need. Yeah.
2: yeah look, I'm definitely guilty of if I'm feeling a bit squirrely, um, I'll absolutely – I'll get on Instagram for a while, I'll throw a photo up, I'll get on Reddit, I'll look at – I'll just, you know, I'll escape into my phone for 10 minutes. Yeah which becomes 20, which becomes 45, um, and I'll feel different after.
1: Yeah. Because I've had that escape. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know? So it's I definitely use it. It's human. Right. The problem is that I use it and then it's to, the, to blocking out my actual family who are humans in this space, in, in my apartment where you're sitting right now. Yeah. And that's not good. But <laughs> is it, in your opinion, sounds like a better drug than alcohol? oh, anything's a better drug than alcohol, but it still has the effect of alienating people I love Yeah. and reducing my ability to have an actual human connection with them, <laughs>
1: Yeah,
2: um,
1: which doesn't make them feel very good. Yeah, but also you connect with people that are interested in your life and what you do and it, it might not be a, a physical connection, but there's meaning in that. There's your connecting with a, a much wider audience of people and it's like a new technology it's a new level of connection that's also really valuable don't know if i can convince audrey of that <laughs> <laughs> she just hasn't gotten enough followers so that's what's going
2: on there <laughs> ah but then, then you know then now now we're drinking the kool-aid
1: <laughs> now 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 we're drinking the kool-aid <laughs> see audrey my love for you is expressed in instagram
2: likes <laughs> <laughs> Though I did post a photo of us being, um, you know, in love on the deck of this, you know, beautiful place in in Tokerika the other day. And yeah. people were just falling over themselves. Yeah, they're just happy to see
1: me happy. Yeah, here's a. I thought that I had today, and it's a controversial one, given what you just said. But what do you think the relationship is between people's relationship and their expression of that relationship online? In terms of the amount of content that people put about their relationship online oh
2: i would say unhealthy i would say very unhealthy i saw this this meme the other day of uh you know it's just a shutter stock photo it's a stock photo of it of a a young dad with a a toddler and a pregnant wife looking at a laptop yeah. and the dad's... You know, just a photo. He's just not looking very happy. He's a yeah. little worried. Yeah. He's probably just a bad actor sitting there. It's like, I'm doing a fucking photo shoot. Yeah. But the, the caption was, yeah, Jenny wasn't pulling the likes on Facebook like she used to. So we, <laughs> She's decided we're having another kid. Driven. <laughs> 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 yeah. And it said a lot, you know. <laughs> it said a lot. Um, and I'd say, you know, it's, you know... It's good. It's bad because it's bad. That's why it's good because it's bad. Um, But it says a lot, you know, I think. To answer your question, I think, yeah, the relationship that people have in the public-facing greatest hits, highlight reel, last 30 minutes of an Eagles concert, only the best songs that you show to the world on Facebook or Instagram versus what the actual quality of their relationship is like. I I think there's, you know, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Certainly. And I'm only saying this through my observation of other people who I know and then I see their photos I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) you were fighting in the car all the way to that party. I know because when you arrived you told me. (laughs) But here you are on a deck and we're going, loving this fucking party. In front of the
1: photo wall. I'm like, yeah, no, you're not. Yeah. (laughs) The other side to that is, um, it's not, if you acknowledge that it's not real life, if it's not, it is just snapshots of people's reality, Yeah. then that's all it is. Like you didn't go, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. Um, some people can pull off the, this is me and my shit moments thing too, which I can ad- admire too, mm. but it takes a certain kind of knack for storytelling to be able to do that well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it also requires what you're
1: describing requires like the same sort of
2: like uh, media literacy around, you know, discerning news or, you know, do you have the ability to discern like can you see everything on Facebook and go, that's all real or can you go, okay, this is just what people want to show me. Mm. That goes for the news articles as well. You know, this is, you know, know, talking of your algorithms, you know, if we want to really go down a rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) I highly recommend you look at this fantastic, fantastic uh, website that someone hacked together. It's called Red Feed, Blue Feed. Okay. And it's a, a single page that shows two news feeds of imaginary Twitter. Uh, like made-up Facebook identities. Yeah. But – who follow like on, on the, it's American politics, so one will follow Sarah Palin, Ann Coulter, Donald Trump, Ted Nugent, like all these right-wing people. On the left, it'll follow Bernie Sanders, Al Gore, you know, um, Rachel Maddow, da 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 yeah. So, and it shows you the timelines that these people are exposed to and the same news story will come up by the same outlet with two different headlines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? And it's no wonder people have skewed world views, yeah, no wonder, yeah, you know uh, it's interesting being on this job for the last month, you know you, you have these like I said you before, having long conversations off on set, and you know someone will say, oh no no it, it, it is, I saw it on Facebook oh. <laughs> is it though is it real or did you just share saw something that someone shared in the heat of a moment
1: <laughs> anyway this there's, there's, there's a rabbit hole there's this a, is this is Osh's little speech bubble thing that comes like thoughts while on the Bachelor set of like, this is... Look, we were shooting in a
2: tropical part of the world yeah, in the rainy season. Yeah. So uh, we, there was a lot of waiting for rain to stop. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we get ready, we'll get ready. We- oh, rain's coming. Okay, you sit there for an hour and a half.
1: Mm, you just talk. Do you so- think, Do you think if you do this job enough, you'll get like more sassy? Like do you think you'd be like... I've seen this. No, you need to just to be always no, pleasant.
2: Here's the wonderful thing, and this is the best part about it: is like these the, the wonderful people that come on this this show. They really, really fall in love. They really, really do, yeah. and it's bloody wonderful yeah. to see. You know, however you were, whatever yeah, was cool. going on in your life, that you felt that your only path to happiness was coming on this show. Yeah and then watching the change from when they walk in the door and they're wearing their suit of armor and they you know they they they're shooting all their you know their, their weaponry that they've lived their whole life using to diffuse you know difficult situations and then through the course of the their time on the show those things start to you know start to eke away and then we start to see them realize oh this person's interesting and then you actually watch people who you'd never think would get together, then they'd fall in love and they're just into it. Yeah. And like, man, look at you. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah. And we get to go to work every day and do that. Yeah. And that's freaking awesome. Yeah. It's really, really nice. And, and and so, no, I don't get sassy and I don't get cynical. I got really cynical on idol. Idol broke me as far as my love for music. Oh. Uh, music was all I wanted to do, music yeah. was my life. Uh, all I did was play in bands, and I'd go on tour, and I'd put out records, and all kinds of stuff. And then, um, and then I got into radio. And then uh, after radio, I did Channel V. And then I was just like inundated with it. But then, just something about Idol, just those just those thousands of auditions, and <laughs> you know, there's only so many times you can hear Alicia Keys falling in and out of love sung not very well. <laughs> that you, you go, oh man, I, okay, no. Nah. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, I was, you know, living a very unhealthy life. Like, I don't remember the second season of Idol. Man. Okay. It happened. There's footage. up <laughs> there. There's footage of it. I know I was there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but I don't remember it. Casey Donovan won. <laughs> do, you think, do you feel like um, doing this reality TV has made you more endeared with humanity or less? On balance, if you had to say, gun to your head.
2: Oh, way, way, way more. You wouldn't have to put a gun on my head. Way, way, way more. Because, um, you know, what? and I, and I knew this when I started working in radio. When I was doing the overnight shift and the phones would ring. And, you know, I grew, I went to a private boys school. I'm one of four boys. My dad left when I was 11. I only ever knew men. Um, you know, and then I got into this, you know, sort of, drinking social scene after school and then i started radio when i was 20 um and then suddenly i'm talking to people from you know i, I you know both my parents are doctors i just i just didn't go to didn't go to cabultro i didn't go to goodnar i didn't go to you know now my, i've spent the last two years living in Kamira, which is right next to goodnar yeah. um I never went to Ipswich. I didn't know anyone that lived there. You know, I never went to Annala, all these, these places in Brisbane that are lower socioeconomic areas. And I had all kinds of preconceptions about who these people were. Yet, in the course of a night, this is before texting or anything, so people would have to call up, right, before the internet. It was 1994. It was a long mm. time ago. Um, in the course of a night, I would speak to uh, uh, an emergency nurse. I would speak to a twenty-year-old mum who was um, nursing at home alone with her baby for the first time, single mother. I'd speak to an all-night truck driver. I'd speak to a cab driver. I'd speak to a baker. I'd speak to, you know, uh, a woman that was working in a helpline somewhere. Like all these people I would otherwise never speak to, mm. and and from all different kinds of life all different parts of the world, all different parts parts of Australia, all different socioeconomic classes. It was, it was great. I'm so lucky that I have this exposure um, and have this ability to, you know, I'm able to then, now you can, if you want, you can go on Twitter and follow all different kinds of people online. You can, which I thoroughly recommend that people, you know, follow people like Indigenous X and things like this and, and, and you know, see, you know, particularly Indigenous Australians going through their life and particularly, you know, women going through their lives. Um, but then I had this exposure to, uh, oh wow, look here's different people and they do things differently. Oh, that's interesting, <laughs> you know. So yeah, I, I find absolutely it's endeared me and made me love Australia more
1: than more than anything. What's you know? the last thing that you've seen someone do differently? And you're like, oh, maybe I'm like that too. In the way that you've decided that you're a vegan, or the way that you decided that sobriety is better for you. Um, the, well, honestly, at the start of this
2: conversation, when you talked about, um, you know, you can't downplay the role of alcohol in the, in the, you know, the, the evolution of Western culture and the dominance, in many ways, of Western culture upon this planet. Um, I'd never thought of that before. I was like, yeah, right. This is true. Because just because my relationship to it is this particular way doesn't mean that everyone's relationship, and when I think about it, there's probably, probably quite a number of people that did some interesting things that otherwise wouldn't have got done. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
1: But like, isn't it great when you, like someone's like, um, you know, when I make my cheese sandwiches, I put three layers of bread on there and you're like, huh, you do it that way? That's I've never thought about it. Like just little things yeah. in life that come and you're like, a triple deck of cheese sandwich. <laughs> I <It's> say. <like>, no.
2: <laughs> do you
1: butter both sides of the middle bread?
2: Double down on the dairy? Well, you don't. No. No. Can you
1: fit a triple decker into the sandwich press? Well, i tell you what. Into the toasty. Dorazio and Bondi do a triple decker pizza. Get out Outta of here. Yeah. It's- you shut up. <laughs> yeah. Three three pizzas with – there's pork on there. So, That's fine. Yeah.
2: Oh, look, my wife's Fijian, which is the opposite of Fijian. The- okay. So-, <laughs> so, you know, like if you look at a graph, a logarithmic scale – Vegans down here, vegans up there. Yeah, does it cast a shadow? My wife will eat it. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> a triple decker
1: pizza. Pizza. Yeah.
2: Wait till I tell them about this.
1: Yeah. See, these are important things in life that I just don't feel like get out there. That's why your podcast is so. But I think ordinary. you're right.
2: I think it's it's super important to be to be challenged by other ways of of you know people you know doing something. And and to be open to different ways, and definitely challenge things that you thought were un, was it inalienable, Is that the word? Inaccessible. No t- t-
1: truths. Oh yeah, inalienable. Inal- in- inalienable. Pff, I can't speak. Inalienable truths. Truths. Like
2: <laughs> things that you. The real. Like it's important to to challenge your truths. You know, I'm listening to Clementine Ford's book, "Fight Like a Girl," at the moment. Yeah. And you know, so much of it was like. All oh, right. Yeah, I guess you're right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point, yeah. Clem. Yeah. That's a good point, Clementine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, versus going, oh, I never thought of that before. So therefore, it's wrong. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important to, you know, to be open to 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 that. And you know, this is uh, you know, when it comes to you know politics, especially, you know, I think it's really important to be just because I think that it's, you know, not okay with me doesn't mean it's not okay for everyone, and and you know as a society, we've just seen this now with the same-sex marriage vote, that, you know, we had 20% on this side of it and 20% on that side of it and 60% weren't, yeah, we're yeah we right with that. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. That we have a majority of our population that kind of sit in that spot. Yeah. But that's a long way from what we were talking about. Um, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's why I like podcasting. That's why I like podcasting. Because you have these conversations. Go around. Um, so... It, for people, do you find it's easier for people who are concerned about someone that they care for or care about to have a conversation with them about their drinking if they kind of push them towards Hello Sunday morning? Have you heard that feedback?
1: I think, yeah, the best advice that I give, and I hear it happens, is just don't say, I think you've got a problem with drinking. Say, have you heard about Hello Sunday Morning? Um, and then have a conversation about what Hello Sunday Morning is. like. And it's interesting. It's a group of people that are either quitting or taking a break from drinking and that will often lead to a conversation. And One person might go, oh, what a bunch of losers. Like, Why would you do that? And that's quite clear. That person is not motivated or interested in that conversation. So no need to make the relationship worse and try and force them into it but there's no shortage of people that if they've woken up consistently with a hangover and constantly said, I need to drink less or and you can at that point say, are you happy with your relationship with alcohol? Or do you want to change your relationship with alcohol? And at that point, if they say no, then no need to bang your head on there and force them into anything. But if they say yeah, I think I need to drink less or I need to cut back or even I need to quit, then that's when you can send them our way.
2: It's great that you're doing this. And it's so great that you have the skills, not only the background that you have, but you also have the skill set that you got from your business career and your work career behind this. So you're able to approach it with such, you know, in such a fashion. You know, and from the, from what I've seen, it does explain a lot of the success you've had.
1: And you know, I'm, I'm thrilled for you, man. Well, thank you. Well, it's it is a T15 in Sydney, and well, some people in Japan and Vietnam, but we the we love what we do. Like, that's the best thing I think about our work is our culture that we have in our organization of doing it. And anything that we do is great, is because of them. Like, it's just a great organization to be part of. But you started it, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. But I, I guarantee if I did everything that we do, it would be a mess.
2: No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that it, it came from it came from a place within you of all, like, oh, this would work. This is a way that I could describe it to somebody else that might make them go, oh, yeah, I'll give that a shot. Yeah. And that's where it starts. It starts there. It starts with you and your flatmate. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. (laughs)
2: That's freaking amazing, man.
1: Well, actually, my flatmate, the original, he was like, oh, I want to do this too. It was like a month three. Let's say like March of the first year. I was like, hmm, this is kind of my thing, man. Uh, Maybe you want to do your own. (laughs) Like, I didn't didn't think it would be other people involved. So I have been brought along this journey, kicking and screaming Uh. along the way. (laughs) So I think to portray me as someone that had like a vision for what it could be is very false. Right. It's more just kind of lucky to have really great people around. But you
2: have created a life for yourself and you now have this path in your life that is affecting so many people in such a positive way that you create it out of the air. It's pretty great.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool.
2: Not many yeah. people get to do that.
1: It's lucky. We're lucky to be able to do the work that we do for sure.
2: Mate, I'm so stoked you came around. Thanks, Mate, Thanks for having me. <laughs> this,
1: this has been so casually great. This is, this is like a three-layered pizza. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's like a three-layered pizza
2: with vegan cheese and tempeh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit him up for that.
1: I'm yeah. Saying, I'll bring
2: some vegan cheese along. Can you give me a three layer? Yeah. Give me the triple decker.
1: Yeah, what is this? <laughs> You're like, trust me, you revolutionized Bondi. You can add another five bucks to that in Bondi. When I was in, uh,
2: when, when I was in, I was been, I've been in France since I've been vegan a few times. No fromage? <laughs> what is this, no fromage? <laughs> They didn't say sacreble. That was me being casually racist. (laughs) Creative license. There we go. Uh, I'm going to take your photo real quick, okay? Okay. Okay, cool, man. That was Chris Rain. You can find out more about what he does uh, by following him on Twitter, at C K R A I N E Chris Rain or you can go to their website hellosundaymorning.org hellosundaymorning.org which is also where you can download the daybreak app and there's also you can find that wherever your apps are. Massive thank you to everyone that sent me a photo this week. Uh, wherever you're listening, I'd love to see what you're up to across your break. Send us your email at gmail.com. I write back to everybody that writes to me so if you wanted to get in touch that's where I am. Um, Once again, I will be bringing you episodes every week over the summer break. If you've been a supporter, you may have heard some of those episodes before. If not, that'll be the first time you'll hear. So brand new episodes, um, except for uh, maybe 100 people, Um, will be coming for you to listen to across the summer as you do the things that you do in the summer. I'll talk to you again on Monday, which will be Christmas Day, if you celebrate Christmas. Uh, Thank you so very much for an incredible, incredible year. I've been through a lot I couldn't have done it without you. Uh, When I see the downloads, when I see you listen each and every week, it just gives me such an inspiration to keep working on the show and keep making it as good as possible as I can every single week. An incredible thank you to the hardworking people who've worked so bloody hard. I could not have made this show this last year without Andy Ma, my audio producer. If you're in the mood for a podcast production situation, you should call Andy Marr. You can find him at A-N-D-Y-M-A-H-E-R.com. He's the best. Um, Andy Marr is amazing. Also, he offers incredible editorial guidance when he's like, are you sure you want to leave the part in where you talk about Actually, Andy, you're right. I probably don't. So he's very good around that. And, of course, my show producer, Haley Van Spagna, who juggled my schedule 15 ways from Sunday to make sure that I would have time to do the interviews to get you a show each week this year. It is all because of Haley that I was able to get the content this week. There's no way I would have been able to organise all these interviews this week this year doing what I've been doing. haley has been incredible and without her um, I would not be able to have made this show. So a big thank you as well to Toe Heider, T-O-E-H-I-D-E-R who has been supporting me uh, for years now making the music for this show. Thank you so much. Uh, I love his music and I just called him up one day and like said, mate, I would love you to do a theme song for my shows. And he's been working with me Yeah, he's great. He's the best. So thanks again for looking into this podcast app. If it's the first time you've been here, thanks. Big thank you to you for just being excellent. That's my dog barking for some reason. I don't know why. I have to go find out. What is it, Frank? Oh, you just you barking at kids? They're just kids. It's summer holidays, Frank. He can't speak English. Just call it, buddy. Um, Whatever you're doing right now, drive carefully. Take a nap if you need to. It's holidays. Be careful. We want to see you safe and well. Until we speak next time, sleep well and dream of beautiful things.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen.